You are listening to the Sermons Podcast of First Baptist Church, Mount Washington. Well, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8 this morning. Romans chapter 8. If you didn't bring a Bible, there should be one in the pew in front of you. I encourage you to follow along today. We are in this uh, really great chapter in Romans, and uh, we've gotten off to a good start. We've covered verses 1 through 11 uh, in over the past couple of Sundays, um, but, but there are some places uh, that we need to slow down and uh, sort of take in the view a little bit and really think about what uh, Paul his message uh, is to us. And so I think this is one of several texts that are coming up that we need to do that very thing. And uh, so we're going to look at just three verses this morning, verses 12, 13, and 14. And uh, so let's look at uh, God's Word together today. Romans 8, verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you have put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Let's pray. Lord, please help us now. Um, we, we confess, Lord, that um, we, we are weak and uh, we lack understanding. We, we lack uh, even at times the abilities to diagnose our own hearts and we need your help. And so please, Lord, open our eyes to see your word, our ears to hear it and our hearts to receive it today that we might take it in, that it might find root in, in our lives and transform us and shape us to be the people that you have uh, desire that you've called us uh, to be. And I, I pray that you would use me as your servant. I pray that you would increase and I would decrease and your word would go forth. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the conversations that often takes place after the birth of a, a baby is to begin immediately to identify what traits of the baby belong to each of the parent. And so we might immediately start saying things like, oh, he has his father's eyes, or oh, she's got her mother's hands, and, and uh, we're so on. And then as the child grows up, we start to pick up other mannerisms and uh, personalities. Maybe we start to blame it on the other spouse at that point, right? You know, um, but, but we might say he's got his his dad's smile or his, his mom's sweet spirit or granddaddy's temper or whatever, all of those things. One of the comments that, that my mom often comments on me about is my gait or the way that I walk, um, which she says is just like my dad's. And in fact, it must be something in the family because she, she'll say something like, you walk just like a Clark. I don't know if that's good or bad, but it is uh, what it is. You know, I can see you a mile away uh, because I can tell it by your walk, she would say. Sinclair Ferguson tells of a mother whose son 
uh, was graduating um, from basic training from the Marines. And after the graduation, all of the cadets, of course, these young men whose heads had been shaved and were all wearing exactly the same uniforms and they're being brought out in their families. And this mother was able to pick out her son uh, from all of that likeness simply by the way that he walked. She said, I can find him anywhere in the world um, by looking at uh, his walk. It's interesting that the Bible uses the word walk to speak about the Christian life. In Romans chapter 8, verse 4, Paul described Christians, he says, as those who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In other words, there is a distinct way that a Christian walks Uh, that are characteristics about our lives that communicate who our Father is, that we belong to our Heavenly Father, that His Spirit lives in us, and it, it produces in us a lifestyle, a walk, if you will, that shows that we are the children of God. And you can see it's very much a theme here in Paul's language. Verse 14, he mentions that we are uh, sons of God. Uh, If you look down in the passage, verse 15, he speaks of our adoption by God so that we call him Abba, Father. Uh, Verse 16, he says we are children of God. Verse 17, we are heirs of God and heirs of His Son, Jesus Christ. And there's more references throughout Romans 8. He's reminding us that we have been transferred out of the family of Adam, if you will, and into the family of Jesus. This is what happens when we are are saved. We, We receive His very Spirit within us, and then His Spirit leads us to walk differently to live differently. And most certainly there's a struggle in this, and we've acknowledged this as well, to revert back to our old walk, to our old patterns, our old family, if you will, to sin and to death. That's the struggle Paul talks about in Romans 7, that struggle of the flesh that keeps wooing us back to sin. But what Paul is emphasizing here is that the primary mark that we are in the family of God is that His Spirit is in us. And we walk differently, and that very Spirit leads us According to verse 13, it leads us to put to death the sins in our lives. To put those things to death and to walk like our Heavenly Father. John Owen has written a wonderful book many, many years ago called The Mortification of Sin. Um, I would commend it to you. The word mortify is a word we don't use very often anymore, but it means essentially to put something that's living to put it to death, anything, to mortify, to take away its life, to take away its strength, its, its power, its vigor, so that it can no longer act, it can no longer live, it can no longer exert any actions on its own. And in this case, we're talking about indwelling sin. The call to mortify it, 
to, to put it to death, or the deeds of the body, Paul says in verse 13, to put it to death. Yes, we have died to sin, he has taught us, but sin has not died in us. And Owen writes in his book, sin is always acting, always conceiving, and always seducing and tempting. Isn't that the truth? And, he says, if sin is always acting, we are in trouble if we are not always mortifying it. And then the famous line from the book um, is this when Owen writes, always be killing sin or it will be killing you, he says. That's exactly uh, the echo of Paul's words here in verse 13 when he says, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Derek Thomas writes, there is to be no peace with our sin. We dare not, he writes, baptize our sins with benedictions. It is imperative that sin be destroyed. Its life is not to be spared. There must be radical destruction of sin. Kill it, strangle it, starve it of oxygen until it cannot breathe again. There is no other way. It's not just the Apostle Paul who has called us to do this, by the way. Where did Paul get this kind of teaching? He got it, of course, from our Lord Jesus Christ. You remember Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in a much more provocative way even than what Paul is saying here. Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Now, Jesus is not advocating uh, some kind of self-maiming here, but what he is advocating is self-denial. Or as John Stott puts it, not mutilation, but mortification. Putting your sins to death, it means denying yourself and taking up your cross and following Jesus, rejecting sin, leaving it behind, putting them to death. Paul says this even other places more explicitly. He wrote to Colossians chapter 3 in uh, uh, verses 5 through 8. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Then he has a list, sexual immorality impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. He says, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now, now, he says, you must put them all away. And he lists more, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from, from your mouth. But here's the question, and I think this is what we're, we sometimes uh, can struggle with be, because there, there may be something in us that would say, is this realistic? Is this possible? Can a person really put to death their sins? I mean, can a person really change from these things? 
And what Paul is saying here is that not only do we have the obligation and mandate to do so, but that we have been given the ability to do so. And so how is this? How is this possible? Well, let's think about these verses for a moment in in light of what Paul is saying there. And I want you to think about first the mindset for putting sin to death. The mindset. You remember back in verse 5, Paul says that Christians are those who set their minds on the things of the Spirit. They set their minds on them because the Spirit of God now dwells in us. Verse 9, he says, we now belong to Jesus. And so hear his call in verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. One of the first mindsets that he wants us to understand and think about here is that we are debtors, he says, not to the flesh, uh, but to the Spirit. We have an obligation, in other words, to no longer live according to the flesh, but to live according to the Spirit and putting to death the deeds of the flesh. It's an obligation. We belong to the family of God. We don't walk the same way we used to walk. We're obligated to put everything away that is offensive to our Heavenly Father and to His Spirit who lives in us. Now, in some sense by now, I would hope that we would all say this is obvious. Amen? I mean, this, is this not the logical conclusion of being a Christian. I mean, think about what Paul has been teaching us. He's already told us, those of us in Christ and our salvation, we've been delivered from the wrath of God. We've been forgiven. There's now no condemnation for us in Christ. We've been brought into a new family. We've been delivered out of the family of sin and death, uh, and, and, and we've been brought into the family of Christ and His rule of life and peace. We've been given a new nature. The old person has died in us. The old man has died. Christ has come to live. We've been made alive into spiritual things. We now have a new destiny in which we will live with God forever. Our souls have been redeemed. We're now waiting a resurrection of our bodies, the redemption of our bodies. And now Paul is saying, since God has done all of this for us, we are obligated to live for him. Not according to our sinful natures, but according to His Spirit. And here's why this is so crucial, because a Christian who has been delivered from the dominion or the power, the reign of sin, he is saying that Christian now has the ability through the indwelling Spirit within us to put to death sin. We have not just the obligation to kill sin, but we have the ability to kill sin. Now, this flies into the face of what our world tells us, doesn't it? I mean, we are constantly bombarded with messages like uh, these kinds of, of things. Well, that's just who so-and-so is. We just need to deal with that. That's just who they are. Or that's just who God made them to be. They can't change. That's just who they are. We'll excuse that. They shouldn't. And, and oh, by the way, that, that's who you are. And you shouldn't change a thing because that's who you are. And blah, 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 blah. Or Satan whispering in your ear. You know what? You've already tried to kill your sin. 
You obviously couldn't do it. You know it's hopeless. Your sin, your, it's, just, it's just greater than anything you could ever uh, hope to get rid of. Your, your, your sins are just too much for you. It's just hopeless. You, just, you are who you are. Beloved, I hope that you're getting from Romans and from just preaching uh, in general here that, that we need to let the Word of God shape our realities and truth, right? Let the Word of God tell you what's true, not the voices of the world, not the voice of Satan. Paul is saying because you are in Christ and His Spirit is in you, the dominion of sin has been broken in your life. That's the truth. It is true. We will never be fully freed from sin until Jesus comes or we die and we get our new bodies. But you must come to realization of what Paul is saying that is true of you right now. You and I are no longer under the dominion of sin. This is why I say it's a mindset because in effect Paul is saying to us here, realize that you've been born again. Do you not realize this change that has happened to you? Do you not realize the significance of what happened? That when the old man died and his spirit came to live in you, the radical effect that this has on your life. Because he lives in you, you have the power to live for him. Lloyd-Jones could be so pointed and provocative and he writes this in one of his messages on this passage he says realize who you are then he says why are you slouching do you not realize that you're the children of the heavenly king why are you groaning and moaning and apologizing? Do you not know that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Do you not know that you are partakers of the divine nature? Why are you whimpering and crying? Why are you talking so much about the world and the flesh and the devil? Do you not know that he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world? He says, stand up. Attention, march, military language. No more of this lethargy. No more of this weakness. Realize what God has done to you. Realize who you are, what He has made of you, and march with your heads held high as those who were once in the flesh, who once belonged to the darkness, but now are lights in the world. It begins with a mindset, doesn't it? That particular thing, a mindset that is oriented around the truth and not our culture, and not what everybody else is saying, but what God is saying to us. We are not to live in defeat. We are not to live continuing to make excuses about why we can't stop our sinning. We are to live as though sin has the victory over, uh, 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 that we have victory over sin because it, it's true according to God's Word. Now, there's some assumptions behind this, isn't it? I mean, one is that we're in the position to kill sin because we've died to it and we have a new nature. Secondly, we have the ability to kill sin because we've been given His Holy Spirit. But here's the thing. Paul is assuming in all of this that, that you want to. 
that you want to. That in our new nature that is indwelt by the Spirit, that we would want to kill our sins. And we should ask, is this a desire in me? We're back here again to examining our hearts and we're asking some hard questions. If, if I don't desire to kill my sin, am I really His? If the way that I walk reflects more of my flesh than my Father, am I really His? It leads us to consider some of the motivations for putting sin to death, some of the issues of, of our heart, and, and again, our mindset, our thoughts, our motives here of what Paul is saying. I want to share with you three of them that I've adapted from Sinclair Ferguson. Again, I mentioned earlier. First, the, the principle of sowing and reaping. Because Paul is, is very matter-of-fact when he says in verse 12, doesn't he? He says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of, of God. He's so direct, isn't he? If you live by the flesh, if you keep going down that path, you will die. Now, Paul fleshed this out a little differently to the Galatians, but it's a com commentary, I think, on this verse when he says in Galatians 6, 7, he says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows, listen to his language, to his own flesh, from the flesh reaps corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. It's a principle. We understand that. You, you sow, what you sow in the ground is going to, it's going to come out the, the same thing, uh, the results of that. Boyce puts it very bluntly to us. Paul is saying here uh, bluntly that if you live like a non-Christian, dominated by your sinful nature rather than living according to the Spirit, you will perish like a non-Christian. Because you are a non-Christian. That's, that's stern, isn't it? And, and it's a warning that's meant to keep us from presuming upon God and His grace. Miscalculating the effects of sin in our lives. Taking it for granted. Acting like it's no big deal. Paul, has, he's already warned us this in, in chapter 6, verses 20 and 21. He says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit, what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you're now ashamed? He says, for the end of those things is what? Death. This is why a Christian is someone who is constantly taking inventory of his or her life. 
A Christian is someone who is not just pretending like they're okay, but they're constantly looking inward. They're looking for patterns of sin in their hearts, patterns of sin in their behaviors that are not pleasing to God. And they're not making excuses. We're not coddling those sins. We're, we're not making excuses, but, but we're, we're fighting those sins because we know that those patterns, those seeds that we plant in the ground of our sins that they will grow up and bring about death. So we strive, as Paul said again, Romans 6, 13, do not present your members to sin as instruments for righteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. You see, th this means all of our members this means that not just the parts of, of, of me that I want to surrender to God, it means that I'm presenting all of my members to God, all my mind and my thoughts and my attitudes and my words and my action, my lips and my limbs, all of them, none of that is off limits. We want to present all of our members to God for holiness, not making excuses for the ones um, th that we would like to justify. This is obviously a long, a lifelong effort, right? Again, we're not going to be totally free until Christ calls us home. But in the meantime, this is our demeanor. This is our mindset. This is our motivation. We are striving to kill our sins one by one in our lives. By the grace of God, and His Spirit who lives in us. We're motivated because, as Paul finishes in Galatians 6, 8, the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we don't give up. That's the first motivation. It's the, it's the first thing of my heart when I'm thinking about and my, the patterns, sins in my life. Am, am, I, am I working to kill those? Because the Scripture promises they will bring death if we don't. There's an even more significant motivation, though, I think, and that is the indwelling of the Spirit. And I know we've, we've mentioned this, but it's so prominent here in Romans 8. He makes it clear that it's only by the Spirit that we do this. This is not your willpower. This is by the Spirit's power. Amen? And there's a difference. This isn't about you, you know, it's about not your strength, but the Spirit's strength. The Spirit is our power. It's our only hope for being able to do this. But I want you to think about this. This assumes an even greater reality, um, a greater reality, and the fact that the Spirit of God dwells in us. Look back again at verse 9. He says, you, however, are not in the flesh. Here's the reality. But you are in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Think about the picture that he's painting for us, this, this canvas, this, this, this motivation. Turn over uh, to the right, go right, just, uh, I think, one block to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Turn there for just a moment. It's only just a few pages. I want you to see this for, as an illustration, I think, um, uh, that, that's important. 
Paul is admonishing the Corinthians here in 1 Corinthians 5, 6, uh, 7. He's admonishing, he's exhorting them here to flee from sexual immorality. And I want you to try to catch something of his argument here of what he's saying because he imagined, this is chapter 6, this is down around uh, verse 15. He imagines this horrible scenario in which a Christian visits a prostitute. And here's what he writes, chapter 6, verse 15. He says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never, he says. When you become a Christian, remember, we are not... We are no longer in Adam, united with him, but we are in union with Christ, right? And, and if you were to visit a prostitute, you're essentially, he's saying there, you are uniting Jesus. You're taking Jesus with you, and you're joining him into such a terrible sin. But he goes on, verses 19 and 20. He says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You understand what he's saying there in the illustration. It's not like you can say to the Holy Spirit and Jesus, "Um, hey, you guys just wait outside for a few minutes while I go in to see this prostitute. No, no, the Spirit of God lives in you. It dwells in you, he says. And this is true, beloved, of any sin that you and I commit. You can apply this to any sin in, in fits of anger and rage. When you, 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 you can't say in those moments, Holy Spirit, just, just look the other way for a moment while I just run off my mouth and destroy the people I love because of my anger. That's not how that works. Look the other way, Spirit, while I cheat somebody out of this business deal this week. Just wait over there for a few minutes while I look at some uh, things on my computer that I shouldn't be looking at. Christian, the very Spirit of God lives in you. And when you present your body, your members, that's the language he uses, to sin, whether it be in any lust and anger or greed or selfishness or pride or whatever, you are dragging the Spirit into your sin. You are turning your body, which is now a temple of the Holy Spirit, into base operation camp for sin. When you're tempted, think about this. Think about who you are. Put to death the deeds of the flesh, Paul says. There's a third motivation that's not explicit again in these verses, but I think it's prominent in the whole context of Paul's message, and that is the cross of Jesus. The cross of Jesus. Why put your sin to death? Why? Because of the cross. What has led us to these great 
glorious mountain peaks here in Romans 8. What has led Paul to be able to say, for example, in verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. What has led us to this glorious point? It's because Jesus went to the cross in our place, shedding blood for our sin. Romans, back in chapter 5, verse 9, he says, Since, therefore, we have now been justified or saved by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. It's looming there once again in, in, in who you are, Christian. I'm not sure who, who said this, or, or maybe it's just a pattern of thought, but I've, 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 I, when you're wrestling with, with sin and, and you're weighing out the, the temptations of that, of whether you're going to tolerate that sin or whether you're going to mortify that sin and kill it, here's what you should do. You should drag that sin right before the cross of Jesus Christ, and you should remind it that is what you cost. We must never forget that, church. Amen? How could we ever have flippant attitudes? How could we ever coddle? How could we ever say something so, so ridiculous as, well, that's just who I am. I'm going to continue in, in, in my sin. When Jesus Christ, our Lord, shed his blood for our sins. Remind yourself of this. Remind yourself that you cannot say, I love you, Jesus, in one hand, and then say, I love you, sin, in this hand. Because those two things don't go together. Ian Pitt Watson tells the story of a, a student that he had in seminary named Bill. And uh, Bill was recounting this to him. He said when he was a young boy, he uh, fell in love with golf. And his parents, he said, gave me a club and a harmless wiffle ball, you already know where this story's going, a harmless wiffle ball to hit around in the backyard. And so he spent a lot of time doing that. He said he loved to swing that club, and he loved to strike that ball. But he noticed that it didn't go very far because it, had, it was plastic, and it had all those holes in it. And so as he practiced, he began to wrestle with how wonderful it might be to hit a real ball. And so one day when his parents, he thought, weren't at home, you know what he did. He teed up a real ball in the backyard, and he struck that ball with all of his strength, but it didn't go where, that's kind of like my golf game, it didn't, doesn't go anywhere that I want it to go. It didn't go where he wanted it to go. It, it sliced sharply and went right through the window of the house. And he heard this crash of glass, but then it was immediately followed by this piercing scream. And he ran to the house and he went into the door and he found his mom standing in front of that window with blood on her. 
And he gasped, what have I done? And he broke down in tears and he said, Mother, I could have killed you. And she hugged him and assured him that she was going to be all right. But here's how Bill concluded that story. He said, there in that moment, when I saw my mother bleeding, there were some things I could never do again in the backyard. I could never, he said, carry a golf club across the backyard. When I saw her standing there with blood flowing down that I had caused, it changed my behavior forever. The next time that you think of coddling your sin, I want you to think of someone. I want you to think of the Lord Jesus Christ bleeding on the cross, suffering for that sin that you're about to commit. And I want you to remind yourself that because of that, there are some things that you should never do in the backyard or in the closet or wherever. Again. And I want you to remember And think about the Holy Spirit of God who now lives in you. He lives in you. He dwells in you. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. How could you ever take that temple and unite it with sin again? And I want you to think about the principle of the harvest and ask yourself, now what exactly am I planning to get what kind of fruit Paul said am I planning to get from the things of which I'm now ashamed you already know the fruit it's death and then I want you to remember who you are I want you to remember that if you are led by the spirit of God by the testimony of God's word you are sons and daughters of God You have been adopted into his family. You are heirs of God and heirs of Jesus Christ. You are, he will go on to say, children of God. You are among those who have been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness from death, and you've been transferred into the kingdom of light and life. You have your Father's Spirit living in you now. Walk in Him and like Him by that Spirit. Lord, we ask for Your help in doing these very things. Help us, as Paul said, to be about putting to death the deeds of the body to be killing our sin, to ever be killing our sin, to never grow complacent and content in it, but to put it to death, recognizing who we are in you, your spirit that lives in us, the death of your son Jesus for us. Help us. Lord, if there's someone here today, perhaps who's not in your family, yet 
and they're thinking about these things, I pray that they would recognize the great love that you had for them in sending Jesus and the great love in laying down his life on the cross. May their eyes be open to that love today and trust you, turning from their sins and trusting you as their Savior and Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I'm Pastor Jason Clark. And if you don't have a church home, I want to personally invite you to First Baptist Mount Washington. We're striving to be word-centered, gospel-focused, and community-minded. Learn more about our church and our meeting times from our website, fbcmw.org.